uh, we, we covered Ephesians, and we, now we know our true identity. So tonight I was just going to do QA, and, uh, and so uh, I wanted to just open up the Bible and let it fly and uh, see where we land. The, and so have you ever been in a QA Bible study? Good. QAs are fun. Here? Okay. Yeah, some folks don't do that. <clears throat> I like QA because you just never know. But again, like I said, the key to QA is not me. It's you all. So uh, you got to be in the Word if you're going to have questions about the Word. So if we're not in the Word, we're not going to have questions about it. So does anybody have a question? I hope somebody does. Oh, good. Pam Jackson. Yes. Hang on, Pam. Let me do this right. We're going to have a. <clears throat> we're going to have to give you the mic. You're going to stump me too, so that's not hard to do. But uh, we'll we'll do what we can. I don't know what Jeff is drawing up in, up here on that picture, but it kind of... Huh? An ignorant man. An ignorant man. That's what it looks like. It looks kind of like a Buddhist, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not quite sure. All right, Pam, shoot. Okay, uh, John 5, 4. John 5, 4. Okay. So we're talking about the angel um, stirred up the water, troubled the water uh, for those with infirmities to step into the water and be healed. The first one that stepped in would be healed. Uh, This verse is not in all translations. So is there something like really uh, unique or something that God wants us to know that uh, you know, Satan has allowed it to be taken out of the other. Uh, someone told me they thought that that angel that stirred might have been a demon, which made me start wondering if there was anything to that passage that uh, would be good for us to know. Hmm. That's a good. That's a good thought. The devil can certainly do those sort of things. Um, so that's a good question. So. Um, let me make sure I got it straight. So the first thing you want to know, why is it, why is it removed, right? Um, and then the second part to that question is what is, what is, do I perceive there's any special reason in addition to that, that it should, that they would want it removed, kind of following up to that. Um, and then number three is, um, is that a demon that's troubling the water, right? So it's kind of like three parts to the question, Right. Okay. All right. So they got is we got an answer over here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm. Willing, if somebody else wants to take a shot at it, that's great. You got a shot at it? No, I haven't. Oh, you got a question, huh? Okay. All right. Well, let's. Hopefully, we'll get through this one. and We can get to that one. So, if I don't know what to say, I'll just go to your question. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll work. Uh, Um, okay, so let's just look at the text in context, right? So that's always the first rule of Bible study. And then I will talk to you about why it's removed uh, as well and what I, what I believe the situation is regarding the troubling of the waters as well. So um, now it says here in verse 1, after this, after what? 
Well, in verse 54 it says, This again is the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judah into Galilee. So this is after his second miracle. After this, there was a, a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Uh, now Bethesda means house of kindness. That's what the, the word Bethesda means. In verse 3, it says, In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. It's sort of like a dead church waiting for the Spirit of God to move, right? It's like, when's something going to happen around here? Uh, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Uh, when Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been now a long time in that case. In that case, uh, he saith unto him, "Wilt thou be made whole?" And the impotent man uh, answered him, "Sir, I have no man uh, uh, when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me." And Jesus saith unto him, "Rise, take up thy bed, and walk." And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. All right. And then you see in verse 10 the issue there is that it's on the Sabbath and he healed someone. So it's not lawful, right? The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it's the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for, for thee to carry thy bed. <laughs> so they start, they start, you know, ripping on this guy because he's now able to walk with his bed, you know, which just tells you how blind this, the, they really were, right? But uh, so I, I don't I, I uh, when it comes to the the first question is why is it removed very very technically let me just ask you practically why is it removed um, not 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 for the spiritual dimension of you know some you know biblical or some demonic type of reason but just in gen- general when you are not reading a King James Bible in English why in the world in an English Bible are verses missing. Ever. Okay. You go ahead and hang on. Yeah, go ahead and say that into the mic for people because they can't hear you online. Oh, um, the people that um, had rewritten it thought that it didn't matter. Right. They decided someone made a decision that it didn't need to be there. People who rewrote it, that's a good way of saying it. And Pat, what was you saying? Right. And so Pat says to take out key doctrines that they don't like, whoever they are, right? So the they is the, is really the big question. So why do they, let's just put that in quotes here. I hate to remove this. Has he taught? He taught on this Sunday. So, so is Jeff up there? Hey, Jeff, praise the Lord. Sorry. I didn't know. I wasn't dissing on your image there, brother. <laughs> so um, I'm going to erase that. So let's talk about the they. All right, who are they? That's a good question. Uh, because that's just the first, that's the first part of the question. We'll get to the, more of the biblical. There is a the more doctrinal reason, which is what Pat's driving toward. But I think it's important just in general because, you know, this church stands firmly on the use in English of the authorized version of the Bible, which is commonly called the King James Version. And, um, and what that means is uh, to these guys that are theys is very little. 
Um, so uh, what that means is we believe that God, uh, that our Bible is, is preserved, that God can, number one, that God can preserve his word, just because in Psalm chapter 12, he says, I will preserve them, speaking of his words, um, not just the nation of Israel. They say, well, he's not talking about his words. He's talking about the nation of Israel. Uh, no, he's not, not even grammatically. If you go back and read Psalm chapter 12, he's not talking about his, the, the, the nation of Israel. He's talking about his words are being preserved. I will preserve them. He says that. Um, it's also very apparent from the very beginning when God inscripturated the word of God. Right? God, Jesus Christ, we know very clearly, is the embodiment of his word. They're, they're, they're inseparable. His very, it's a proper noun. He is the word of God. So if you want to see what the word of God looks like in human form, it is Jesus Christ. He is the word of God, both manifest in the flesh at his first coming, which is made a little lower than the angels, and also Jesus Christ at his second coming, when he is literally in his full glory, bringing it to this earth on a white horse with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. So uh, no matter how you cut it, Jesus Christ is the, the word of God, and he has left us the word of God. And just as Mary was able, and I'm summarizing this doctrine of preservation, just as Mary, who was a sinful person, she wasn't immaculately conceived. The immaculate conception does not deal with Jesus' birth. It deals with Mary's birth. Uh, it, and it's, it's a workaround, right? Because she has to be miraculously born so that Jesus isn't sinful. And so uh, that's just hogwash. G Mary uh, was a sinner just like everybody else, but somehow, in God's incredible awesomeness, was able to, uh, to impregnate her, just like the Bible says, and bring forth the God-man, all God and all man. He had human DNA, uh, but he was sinless son of God. And so he was all God, he was all man. He is the word of God, John chapter 1, verse 1. All right, so that is the mystery of godliness. I mean, Christ dwelled, walked this earth and in human form. All right, so, so God was able to preserve, through an imperfect vessel, the perfect word of God. Uh, he did the same thing with Moses, right? Moses gets all honked off. He gets the Ten Commandments. He goes down, the original version, the original copy of the Ten Commandments. He comes down... Uh, Mount Sinai, boom, boom, he busts them on the ground, and they're shattered. Now you don't, you've lost the original. Oh, no, we will never have the original in that language again, right? Well, okay, so God says, hey, go back up, and, and I'm going to write the law. And then the next thing you know, uh, and we could run all this down, but the next thing you know, Moses is over there hewing out because God is using Moses the second time as human instrumentation to preserve his word. And then we got the whole... We have the whole document eventually, and then we got the whole Pentateuch. We got the whole five books, right? So God is working through human instrument. So the word is inspired; God speaks it, but He also inscripturates it, and then He even preserves it. So He can move it not only from Hebrew, but he, when He feels like it, He can get it from Hebrew to Greek, and He can get it from Hebrew and Greek into English. So that's what He does. So God's able to to get in the process of translation, and even move it from place to place, and all, simultaneously preserve it. So without getting too far foot into the, the doctrine of preservation, then if that's the case, why do, we, why do we even, who are they, and why are they changing the Bible and taking verses out? I'm glad you asked. So uh, in the English language, so English was pretty much, um, um, you know, being developed from Saxon and various other, you know, English is a combination. It's got Saxon, it's got, uh, it's got Latin, it's got Greek, you know, influence. It's probably got more. Any linguists in here? I'm not a linguist. Maybe some of you guys are a little more studied on all the various languages. But 
I can say with authority, I know at least these three are represented. Oh, probably even some Hebrew. I don't know. Uh, I'll put a question mark by that. But uh, um, there, <clears throat> French? Yeah. Well, the Latin would probably take care. We'll just say Latin-based languages. Yeah, Latin would take care of French, Spanish, you know, so on and so forth. So as our language is being developed, God is developing um, the apex, I believe, of the English language was 1611. But there's a, there's a, the Bible was contained in, in what's called the received uh, text. Uh, <clears throat> which is what the your King James version came from. Uh, it's also called the authorized version because it was authorized by King James. Um, and that and they took the the text of the time at the fall of the Byzantine Empire. And they were able to migrate from the Latin to the Greek. And what they realized is that the Greek text that they had, uh, man, was much more uh, accurate and thorough. And, of course, these come from the scriptoriums in Syria. And uh, there is no original, by the way. Um, there's copies of copies. And, and so what they did is they assembled uh, the Word of God, and it was diligently compared and revised. And... They come up with, uh, ultimately, the King James Bible in English. And then that work was also going on in several languages uh, from that text. And, that, and you end up really with the apex uh, coming in the King James Bible. Now, I don't, some people think the King James gang you know, knew this, and, and I don't. Uh, King James gang, three groups of scholars. King, uh, King James brought together uh, Puritans, Anglicans. Baptists were not invited, uh, and uh, and these guys were some some major scholars, by the way, linguist, linguistically, and they went to Westminster, they went to Oxford, went to Cambridge, and they diligently compared and revised the received text, came out with a standard English Bible. That didn't just standardize the English Bible; that standardized the English language. And some believe that Shakespeare was part of the program. By the way, it was in in that that group of folks that were doing... Uh, and by the way, if you've ever read Shakespeare, it's so funny because people say, I can't read the King James English. Hey, man, it's good to see you. But you know, when you go to... to cla- My son is still quoting. He can quote the first part of... Is it... What is it? Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet? I don't know. He's got some fancy thing. He can quote this whole from memory. And not, and it's got all the these, the thous, the thuses, the whatever. You know, when you quote Shakespeare, you, you leave it all in there. It's classic, just the way it is. And so people say, man, you can't handle the, the, the these and the thous in the King James Bible. But whatever. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to, to just updating some of the these and thous if it was necessary. Um, but it's not. So what happens, the, the, the they that we're talking about, and this is really what I'm, this is, this is what I'm really wanting to drive at. So who found it necessary to, to keep, you know, working on the English Bible? Um, well, it wasn't just people wanting to translate the Bible into English. It was people that are what we would call critical. It's a real, they have a, it's called critical, critic, critical text theory. They wanted to apply this critical text theory to all of the, to all of the, the, the Bibles still do, by the way. Um, and so, um, and, and by the way, the only, they're not honest about that. They only apply it when they want to. Um, 
because most of these guys come from a, a, of a theological position of baptism, regeneration. That's a big word, isn't it? So if you look at the, the, the first translations, uh, well, if you look at Westcott and Hort, for instance, these are the... the it's debatable if these guys were even saved. Uh, it's probably likely they are not saved. They believe in salvation by works. So somebody, does somebody, what does baptism regeneration mean? Right. Uh, Lance says you've got to be baptized to be saved. Right? So in, in short, that means you've got to, that equals you've got to work to be saved. And they reject you know, the scriptural position of salvation by grace through faith alone and Christ's finished work alone. And so when you look at the critical text theory, it's, it's amazing how they attack the verses that lean toward salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But what they do is they take, they got two texts that they found. One was Tischendorf's text. So you got the received text, and forgive me because I'm doing this off the top of my head, but there's a, there's a, a boatload of, of uh, manuscripts uh, available in the received text. Um, that, that have, that, that's why they're received, because it was the text available. And the church said, these are the received texts. The church is. The, the Anglicans, the Puritans, the Baptists, everybody was like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man, that's it. But there's a couple texts that weren't received, okay? These are also called, you hear the TR every once in a while, the TR, uh, Textus Receptus. That just sounds expensive. <laughs> it sounds fancy. All right, so the TR, it's a Texas Receptus. How many of you have heard of that? Texas Receptus. Okay, it's the same thing. Received text, Texas Receptus, right? Uh, this is a little bit more, by the way, refined than the, if you guys are into this thing and you're wondering, you know, this is more refined than the, the Byzantine. There's, the Byzantine texts were thrown out. Not everybody there is a received text person would take a Byzantine text. So the Greek does come from the Byzantine. All right, so moving on. So uh, the received text, the Texas Receptus, um, well, it's received. But then you have uh, somebody, you can Google, Google this up. When, was Tischen, when did Tischendorf find uh, the uh, Sinaiticus? Okay, we'll say 1800s just to be, because I don't know the date for sure. So uh, that's the Vaticanus, right? Or Sinaiticus, I said Sinaiticus. When's the Vaticanus? Because Tischendorf is Vaticanus. Okay, so I'm not going to put 1800s. Let's just put from the 17 to 1800s. I think that, I think actually Vaticanus might have been after that. But you have two texts. One of them's called... Uh, the Vaticanus, and don't get thrown off by the Latin, you know, that, that's just short for, that's just long, I should say, for Vatican. And then the other one is Sinaiticus. Sci, how do you spell Sinaiticus? Sinaiticus? I don't know. That don't look right. Help me. Is that right? S what? Okay, there. I think I'm spelling that right, but this is online, so I'm scared. All right, so I before E except after C. That should work. So you have the Vaticanus, and again, this is Sinai, you know, like Mount Sinai. 
So there's two, two texts uh, around this time that are found. One, literally this one, the Vaticanus is in the trash can. And I think, Sadik, you going to help me with this, brother? Okay, this is the one I'm thinking of. 1844, this is Tischendorf. This one is the one I want. Thank you. This was literally found in the trash can. Uh, literally. I mean, like literally in the trash can. Because the monks in the monastery in Sinai were like, this is trash. I mean, these are Roman Catholic monks. They're saying this is trash. Everyone knew it was trash. Uh, it comes, it's, a, it's critical text. Which, by the way, the critical text theory is nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. You actually see the Sadducees messing and dabbling with that during the ministry of Jesus. You know where critical text theory comes from? Other than the pit of hell. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Yea, hath God said. That's where, that is really where it comes from. Is Genesis 3. We want to get very biblical. Yea, hath God said. Let's question the text. Okay. But it also, so you fast forward that. It comes from the intellectuals um, of Greece. I just mentioned one a few Sundays ago. Uh, back in the, when the, uh, I forget his name, uh, uh, his name's escaping me, but there was a, kind of the common man of philosophers, Epicurus. Is, uh, Epicurus uh, was the one who was raging against the machine and started questioning all the philosophies of the, of the, uh, of the Greeks. And, uh, and he would take, he was a contemporary of Plato and Socrates, and so he would literally show up in Athens. He ended up in Athens, and he was out there challenging them you know being, you guys are a bunch of bozos you're t- you're not and he ends up beca- he end- from his uh his critical mindset his uh what's the word i'm looking for his cynicism uh ended up becoming a uh, ended up becoming a school unto itself and you see it in the book of acts it's those of the school of epicurus well, epicurus is long gone but his critical text theory was not and so uh so basically you take a cynical approach uh, to the text. Faith is out the door, and uh, God preserving his words out the door, and the authority is based in human logic and reason and speculation, I might add. And so uh, there's a whole bunch of scholars that got to justify uh, their existence, <laughs> and uh, their critical text, the modern term is critical text. They aren't going to say, I'm from the school of Epicurus. But they're basically, they're critical text scholars. All right, these guys adopt the critical text theory, which is as old as Satan, you know, questioning, yea, hath God said, in the garden. But when you get into Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, both of these are corrupt Greek texts. Um, Alexandria, Egypt. You see, uh, you know, it's just. Well, I'm, I'm going to get. I'm going to get off on a tangent with the. With there's other issues uh, with the. Uh, what's that Greek Old Testament uh, called? Septuagint, right? So their hands, their fingers, are and all that as well. But at any rate, uh, so what they do is they take and they they have changed all kinds of passages. Most of the time, it's very subjective. And, and the absolute authority is not based in evidence of text. It's based in scholarship. It's the theory of critical text theory. And they become, they actually absolutely are the uh, authority. But a lot of the changes that are made when it's convenient, 
comes from the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus, both of which were rejected. They're rejected. <clears throat> and so today, uh, most of these guys, the they that we're talking about, the guys that changed the Bible, guys like, right, there's a whole new school of Westcott and Hort, the guys like this <clears throat> um, that produce Greek New Testaments, after Greek New Testament, they end up, the new translations come out with the same corruptions over and over and over and over again. Because none of them are actually using the received text. So that's the short, that's a long answer to the short question. Why is it out? Well, because someone, they, whoever they are, decided they didn't want that verse in there in John chapter 5. Just like they didn't want, um, they don't want uh, Acts chapter 8, right? In uh, verse, what's the verse in Acts 8, 827? 837. You know, they don't want to Acts 837. They don't like 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse, I believe it's verse 7, or is it verse 9? Um, they, then you know what? If you, I did, the, I did this test a few years ago in HBI, and uh, I had all the guys take 1 John chapter 1. Look at this real quick. 1 John chapter 1, or 5, I'm sorry. 1 John chapter 5, uh, and it says, um, starting in verse 7, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood. These three agree in one. If we receive this witness of men, the witness of God is greater for this witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. So it's verse, it's verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the, wor- the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. I believe that's the one that's removed uh, in, in the modern translations. And... Uh, it's gone. If it's not gone, it's questioned if it should be there. And so uh, one of the assignments in our class was, uh, you know, was it that challenging verse. We were doing this thing called the rap session in HBI. What's the verse, First John 1, do you know? 5-7, right, 5-7. So that's a direct attack on the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. And so that's, those, that's removed. Boom, it's pulled out. And, and they will tell you, if you Google that up right now, they're going to tell you, not in the original manuscripts. There's, they're going to tell you that it's not available. That's actually a lie. That's a bold-faced lie. Because they're going to tell you that Vaticanus, the, the, whole, the whole, by the way, the whole weight of these corrupt texts is, well, they're older. And the philosophy is, older is better. Well, it's older and preserved because nobody used it, by the way. And older is not always better. Um... And in this case, even the monks over here with Tischendorf in 1844, even the monks on Sinai knew that, that older isn't better. We're throwing this in the garbage to burn it. Um, and so these scholars, they use that justification when they want to use it. They don't use it across the board. That's, that's actually dishonest, and that's the truth. But people like me who are not, in the, I didn't get the, their degrees and go to school. I'm not supposed to know that, and I'm not supposed to question their authority. But that's the fact of the matter. Nonetheless... So I have, I have the guys in HBI. They all come back with the same answer. Well, 1 John 5, 7 is just not in the original text. Well, it isn't. It's not in the Texas Receptus. Well, why in the world then did the TR guys, why did those guys at Westminster, Oxford, and, uh, and uh, Cambridge, why did they even put 1 John 1, 9 in there? Were they dishonest? Oh, well, there was just a little piece of Scripture that, that uh, um, what's the fellow, the Roman fellow, um, uh, gosh, starts with an E. 
Erasmus, he found this little, he found this piece of uh, text and he just shoved it in there to satisfy the Roman Catholic Church and their dogma for the Godhead back in whatever date that was. And that's really why it's in there. But the, criti- the critical text scholars know better, you know. But you peasants, you can have that, you know, whatever, because Erasmus was one of us, so, you know, we'll let you have it. That's actually not even true. Uh, I believe, and I, this is one of the examples I used in HBI, I pulled out nine references, old italic, going back to like 280, I believe it was. 280, I mean, older than this, than these dudes. But you know what? The, that's not convenient for the critical text gang because they don't want that verse in there. So th- that's an example, a real example. So old italic, oh, it's not Greek and it's not Hebrew, but what was it? It was an actual Bible being produced in the second century, probably by Bible believers like us in the north of, of, uh, of Italy. By the way, a lot of people believe the, the Waldensians actually is, is not just from Waldo of France, but comes actually from the north of Italy uh, in the valley. They're the people of the valley, which is, is the term Waldensians, comes from the old term of valley. So anyway, whatever the case, um, that's old Italic, old uh, Italian, basically, Latin-based, 1 John 1, 9, 200 AD. I mean, you don't get any more original than that, but when that is the case, nobody's wanting to use that. Well, you know, that's not in the Greek. That's not, in the, that's not an original language. Well, what the what? What are you talking about? So, it's dishonest. I'm just telling you guys that. That's why we hold, one of the reasons we hold fast to the King James Bible is just because it's so clearly a good translation. <laughs> it's so clearly a pure translation. You just don't have to question it. Uh, every other one on the market uh, in English is not based off of the, the, the received text. They always work in the Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, uh, to get the same result as Westcott and Hort, which gets you right back to works-based salvation, attacking, attacking the deity of Christ, attacking uh, salvation by grace through faith, putting you back to a works-based situation, and exalting scholarship above the actual authority of the Word of God. And so um, that's, a, that's, a, that's the reason that it's missing in, first, in John chapter 5, because somebody, like you said, and you said, they don't want it in there. Okay, so what in the world? Let's look at the text a little closer. Why would someone want to take that out? The first thing we see in verse 2 um, is we're dealing with the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, and there's five porches. Just as a little, as you do a little Bible study, the number of five. This is the only... By the way, the story is found in John, and uh, this story of, uh, in John is the only mention, I believe, of the word Bethesda in the Bible. In the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda. So we're getting a little Hebrew in our, in our English Bible. Having five porches, five's the number of death, and in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of halt, withered, waiting uh, for the moving of the water. For an angel, you know, comes down. Uh, now, the question is, you know, so we got technically why was it removed? Um, why would the, the King James, or not the King James, why would the critical text gang why would what say Westcott and Hoard or, or, or gentlemen like this want to take that out? Yeah.
perhaps, making Jesus less important. But it's kind of focused on the on that angel, not so much on God. Of course, if God brought the angel, that would make sense. Um, and so the question is: Is that an angel that came from the Lord, or is that a demonic, you know, manifestation? And so. Uh, I would tend to say it is. It is obvious. I think not obviously, but it is. It is of the Lord. Um, and so, <clears throat> it just says an angel. You're not told. It's not called a, a demon, right? It's not called a, a devil. It would be called a devil, not a demon. But it'd be called. A, if it was a devil, it'd probably be called a devil. Um, but nonetheless, Jesus is using it, right? And the thing is, is that what it's what it's really removing, um, and you know, this it's it's pointing out. The text is pointing out that Jesus is saving by grace through faith. This guy can't work his way. He cannot work his way to the water. I don't know if that's. I don't. I will tell you this. I don't want to assume anything regarding anybody's motives about why they took it out, because I don't know, and I because I haven't studied it out. So I, I'd have to drill down on that. I've never looked at this uh, critically, so to speak. To find, so we're surmising some reasons. Perhaps they would take it out. I don't know, so I don't really know. That's where I'd have to say I don't exactly know. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that is the evidence. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. God. Right. That's a good point. Right. Kind of doing a better work. Yeah. You didn't have to get in the pool. That's a really good observation. So Nathan has a good, super good observation. I want to, they can't hear you online, so I'm going to re, kind of rehearse it briefly. So Nathan's making the point that since a lot of these critical text fellows um, um, are attacking the deity of, of Christ, and they are in the critical text, so when I say that, what happens, the, 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 let me get back to this for just a moment. What happens is they come up with a, a, new, a new translation. Uh, in the case of these guys, it's going to be a Greek New Testament for the book of John. Uh, diligently compared and revised from a critical text perspective, right? So that's what these guys are doing. And uh, in that book, it's going to have footnotes and all kinds of information about John chapter 5. And verse uh, four, or verse three, was it verse four where it's, it's taken out? And they're either going to attack it or literally remove it. Sometimes with justification, sometimes without any. Sometimes they just say uh, it's a subjective. Uh, uh, I'm, the word I'm using that they use in the footnotes, I can't recall right now, but what is it? Subjective rendering. I think um, there's another word too that I'm trying to come up with it's not coming to me right now but basically they just replace it they literally admit it we just decided that's what we want it's not the best 
translation. It's the one we want. And we feel, because we're scholars, this is what's going to go there or not going to go there. And it is very subjective, basically, when they want it to be. And when they don't want it to be, they hide behind, well, it's oldest is best. So you know, anyway, so it's kind of a circular reasoning. But um, his point is, uh, Nathan's getting back to his point is, since these guys do attack uh, the deity of Christ frequently and grace, um, salvation by grace through faith, he's making the point that it could be that because this whole point of the book of John, right, deals with manifesting Jesus Christ as God. You know, Matthew reveals Jesus Christ as, as what? King, right? So Mark reveals him as servant, right? And then uh, Luke reveals him as man, the son of man. And then you get son of God. You get Jesus Christ manifest as God in the book of John. That is the purpose. And amen to that, Nathan. And so uh, he makes a really astute point that, well, this is actually pointing out the verse that's talking about this angel. Uh, let's presume it is of God, right? This is the power of God. There's, it's not called the devil. Is doing this. Whoever can get to the water, man, they're going to get healed. And it shows when you get over to verse 9 that Jesus is better than the angel because Jesus is God. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Can you say that again? Seriously, seriously. Jeff has said a mouthful. Let's say that again, brother. Is that mic on? Because this needs to go out on the air. He's got it in his hand. I'm sorry. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> sorry, Jeff. Jeff has said a whole lot of really good stuff. So let's okay. please do that one more time from yes, the sir. top. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Uh, John, there's a principle called a principle of full mention. Full mention. In John chapter 5 is a chapter that deals with the full mention of the deity of Jesus Christ. Because as you go deeper into the chapter, uh, as Jesus is talking to the Jews, he, he uh, mentions uh, such things as uh, equality in works, equality in knowledge, equality in resurrection power, equality in judgment, uh, equality in honor, equality in bestowing life, equality in existence. All of these things that, he, that he's saying he's, he's equal with as far as the Father is concerned. So that uh, the entire chapter is dealing with uh, the very subject of the deity of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And and therefore, it's it's he's saying because of the the, the principle of, of full mention, and what Nathan is saying that is you we're, we can base with a lot more surety than why they removed this verse, <laughs> the fact that God had a purpose for that being there, and so I think we're getting or drilling down, Pam, perhaps on one of, on the uh, the reason that's been attacked, because it's certainly making Jesus Christ greater it's making him into god and by the way that isn't lost on the very just in the text itself it's not lost on uh in verse uh like i said in verse 10 the jews therefore said unto him uh, that the, you know to the man carrying his bed of course they were upset because it was a sabbath day 
And and so later on in in, uh, in this this is as this is what Jeff is talking about. Later on in the text, there, there's this debate in verse 17. Jesus says, "He answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. And so that was very much the issue of the chapter, as Jeff was pointing out." And it's clearly stated in verse 19 and verse 18 there. He's making himself equal with God. That was not lost. My point is the Jews uh, had no problems understanding that's exactly what Jesus was doing. And so um, if there is a, uh, getting back to Pat's point earlier, if there is a demonic type of reason to, that this has been removed, which anyone that tampers with the word of God and, and altering it without, you know, well, it shouldn't be done. Um, it, hey, I'm not against people translating the Bible, by the way. And uh, it happened. We need to do it. We're part of that process, right? It's not translation that's the problem. It's why you translate. So we know people right now uh, working on, you know, tweaking some things maybe in Spanish or what have you. Hey, praise God. More, more power to you. Uh, it's not for me to settle what the Word of God is in the Spanish language. Uh, we support people who are working from a faith-based perspective, working off of, uh, you know, looking at the King James, looking at the TR, whatever, and, and coming up with the best language, rendering it in that language, the best way they know how, trusting that God will preserve his word, right? They're not arrogant enough to have a critical view of the word and put themselves in the position. Having said that, as a Bible translator, you're going to have times when that happens where the judgment calls on you, and you've got to enter that with fear and trembling, you know, and pray. I have a friend uh, working in a, in a language in Asia, and, uh, and he had a text where, uh, you know, in the English and in the Greek, it just doesn't say um, what that particular language says. It's when they carried the, the man lame and they dropped him through the roof, it's just they carried him. So in English, that's they. That could be two people. That could be three people. It could be 50 people. They is they. You check it in the, out in the Greek, they is they. Unfortunately, in the language he's translating... They can be two, they can be three, they can be four. You have to put the right emphasis on it. So he's asking the Holy Ghost. He's like, Lord, help. Which one do I add? Do I say three? Do I say four? Do I say the, they, the word for they that's five? You know, and he just, by, with fear and trembling, just has to, okay, Lord, this is, you know, whatever. And then he would probably footnote it, make a note, and let the people handle it from there. You know, I don't know. So it's very... There is some, that would be an example of, of a legitimate, legitimate critical text where you're, you're examining the text, right? You don't have any question about what it says in English. You don't have any question what it says in Greek. But in whatever, I don't want to say his language because it's a closed country. But in the language that he's, he's translating into, ugh, he's got to be very careful. Uh, not because he's got a bad heart, because he has a good heart, right? Well, guess what? God's going to guide people like that. And if he makes a mistake, God can has a way of rectifying all that in the process. He purifies it, makes it perfect. Uh, these folks don't have the same heart, I guarantee you. Um, and so, in most cases. I, a few years ago, I preached a sermon, and I quoted, and it's interesting, my, my notes got locked in some crypto-Russian um, thing, and I couldn't get them out, so I had, I had the secretaries go back and retranscribe my notes. And so I do have them, again, in written form. But uh, I did a whole series on this whole topic, starting in Genesis, coming up through the New Testament, using the text itself, to the doctrine of preservation based from the Bible itself. It's not an issue of what people think. It's what the Word of God, it's the history of what God says. And so 
you know, these guys have circular reasoning. They say, I have circular reasoning. Well, I'm going to take my circular reasoning from the text and believe that way over theirs. They're not going to be my authority. The Word of God is. All right, so... So I had this series done, and, and, I, and I, uh, the name of, the, pa- of the, uh, the, the scholar, he's down in Dallas Theological. He's a very popular guy, and his name's escaping me right now. But I, I had it in writing. I quoted it, had it footnoted in my notes. Um, and I'm going to give you round numbers because I don't remember the exact numbers. But he said something to the effect that in this debate about from people like me who are, you know, if, if you force me out of my English into an area of I don't understand, like, Texas receptors. I don't speak Greek, you know. I don't speak Latin, so I got to trust that God has given me my Bible. All I need is my Bible, honestly. Uh, you can say you're ignorant. Well, guess what? I what I know of God, I know from my Bible, and I know God pretty good, you know. You can know a lot about God from this book, and it's amazingly accurate. It's ridiculous. It's so perfect. Just by reading it, you know that. So. I mean, it, just, it, it's, it may be considered circular reasoning, but I really don't need to go outside of this book to know that I've got God's Word. Having said that, this scholar, uh, whose name's escaping me out of Dallas Theological, said that, well, you know, I don't know what all the fuss is, really, because uh, these guys that hold to the TR, you know, we're talking about those that go back to the original, quote, original languages, um, and what we're, what we're bringing them from the, the critical text, the, like the Westcott and Hort Greek New Testament and all the other iterations that have come out every two years, um, there's only 2% difference. His name's Daniel something. It'll come to me if I think long enough. I'm reading this going, what in the what? 2%. Then why are the variants so wide in my English Bibles? If it's only a 2% difference, I guarantee you pick up any NIV, you pick up any NASB, you, look, you pick up any other version, you will find well more than 2% of variation. Way more. Which also leads you to the question of, if it's only 2% variation, why are you changing it in the first place, and why can't you make that change? Why do you need 15, 20, 25, 30, 40, 45 iterations, and we never can land? ever, ever, ever land on an English Bible that's good enough because next two years you got to crank, crank out another one because you got to, we know why, because you got to keep your sales going. you got to keep bringing out a new Bible with new notes, with a new, you know, group of Bible colleges and a new group, you got to keep these guys at the college employed and you got to just keep on going because it's really not about getting the word of God in people's languages. So, yeah, the publishing is important too because they're making some money. Love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, so, but my point is, that also gets to some of the motive on why these texts get attacked. I think what Nathan was saying, though, about the text gets back to, to your point, Pat, about, uh, thank you, Jeff, for that summary, too, of John 5, because he is clearly, the issue is about Jesus being God. That angel uh, is an angel that's stirring the water, and you have to get into the water. You got to get in the water. You know what Jesus is also doing here? Let's just think about this. After learning all of this and getting back to works to be saved, Jesus just trumped the work by showing up and saying, hey, get up and walk. Nobody had to get that guy in the water. And these water dogs, these guys here, they're all about getting you in the water. They're all about baptism regeneration. And I know they're dead now, so, but they're just names that everybody knows. It's the new water dogs. So uh, the bottom line is, 
man, that's 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 awesome. I hadn't actually I hadn't actually seen that. So that's pretty cool because that's really what they're removing is the th- the very thing that they that they are, uh, the people that say you've got to work. Let's scrub that out. I don't know. Perhaps you know they're definitely wanted. Uh, they definitely typically are attacking the deity of Christ. I still can, I still don't really know. You just have to ask them. And I don't have a Greek New Testament with that's noted right here with me. Uh, you know. Uh, that I could look at to see what their footnotes say. But you could look at that, and they would give you some sort of justification. And uh, it may be legitimate. None of it's going to be legitimate to take it out, but they may have a reason that seems more legitimate. But obviously, at the end of the day, it's supposed to be there. Oh. Hmm. Oh, very good. So that's a different question. Let's take that question and pose it for just a moment. So this is a this because this is real life. This isn't just theory. This isn't just a bunch of you know eggheads arguing over. This is real life. So we're in a class in our church, uh, dealing with people who desperately need the power of God's word in their life. And 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 Pat is up here reading the word of God, and they, and someone in the crowd says, "That's not in my Bible." And they ask the question of us, why isn't that in my Bible? Now this gets real, real practical. So now you really need to have an answer. Now what does that do to somebody? Why, 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 don't, why, is, why is my Bible missing verses? You know, yea hath God said. It just brings doubt and shadows of doubt. But uh, ultimately it's because some scholars decided it doesn't need to be in there. And so at the end of the day, uh, what I would do very simply now that we've had a little time to meditate on it and we've all kind of looked at this, <clears throat> I would just simply say, you know, you, I wouldn't get into this, obviously. This is a little bit much. I would just boil it right back down to Jesus Christ proving himself that he is God. And uh, if you did say anything about scholarship, I would just say, look, they, they obviously um, are ignorant of what God was trying to, to, you know, communicate in this verse about being greater uh, than than the power at the pool of Bethesda, and it's it's uh, it diminishes his glory when you take that verse out. So it needs to be in there to magnify uh, who he is. You know that's the simple way I would probably approach it. Any other thoughts on that? Any other way? I'm not the I'm not the pope here, Jeff. You got a thought on that? No, go ahead. Do you have the mic though? Can you run that back? Because I, I want folks to hear what you, what you want to say. Oh well, that's what Bible studies are for. We aren't going to get you're going to have to hold your question. Okay. For next week, I think. Um, we're not done. Yeah. Also, along the lines of the angel and the stirring of the water and all that kind of stuff. Um, and this is just a thought. Um, you know, the Jewish people had uh, problems with um, misdirected faith anyway. Mm-hmm. And if you stop and think about it, you know, where is this man's faith really lying? It's lying in the, this angel moving the water. And so we have Jesus coming upon the scene, who is the son of God, who does heal the man. So it is the power of God. So I just thought of the verse in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4 being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So he was... Um, redirecting this man's faith away from the stirring of the waters and angels and trying to uh, get this man to put faith in him. Because I think later on, doesn't uh, Jesus ask uh, this man, 
Yeah, in verse 14, afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made uh, whole, sin no more, at least a worse thing come unto thee. And then it says the man departed and went and told the Jews what Jesus had done. So um, I'm thinking that Jesus was just trying to get this man to see where the where his real uh, faith needs to lie. And it's not in an angel, it's not in the stirring of the waters, but it's in himself. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I absolutely, the, that's what he's doing with the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, or, and so, uh, for sure, you know, and he's not basing it in, in the works or the miracles. Jews require a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom, 1 Corinthians. Actually, that was one of the verses I was, myself was thinking about that from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 earlier. I didn't verbalize that. Part of this is what Israel is looking for. And the sign that they reject is Jesus, right? And he says, I'll give you a sign. It's a sign of Jonas. Ultimately, their hardness ends up, you know, being manifest. So when you get back into the issue of, uh, you know, we're surmising, I think one of the good, good points that, that happens, like with Jeff's uh, point here, is uh, in getting back to the, the question at hand with the person on Friday night, is it's much better, right, to focus on what is being taught in spite of what they're lacking, than to focus on why what they're what is not there, is not there, because you we could fall into a trap that the devil wants, which is to bring doubts where there really shouldn't be any. And so I want to I, I want to take the occasion of Jeff's response to bring that up, because that's a lot healthier way of handling it. But they're bringing up the question not because we're raising it, but because they obviously see it. And so that's a pretty tough that's a tough nut to crack if you're dealing with a baby Christian because you don't want to erode their confidence in the word of God. Now, clearly the text here, they're dealing with, they can't get over the Sabbath, because if he's the Lord of the Sabbath, well, that makes him God. Again, once again, he's establishing his deity. He's establishing he is God manifest in the flesh, which is what that text is all about. Not just to the man that, that got healed, but to the nation of Israel. He's using him as an object lesson, uh, doing it on the Sabbath day, that day on purpose. He's doing it you know, at, at that occasion for all the reasons that Jeff pointed out. Yeah, Ron? So I got a couple of things. Uh, the first thing uh, that I would like to just say quickly is this word troubled. To me, this points me back to Joshua chapter 7. Is it 7 or 8 where Achan, the son of Carmi, is the trouble, troubler of Israel? And that's the only reason I make that point, and I think it leads to the second point, is um, I can't remember who pointed this out to me, but uh, in, in just reading this multiple times, this 38 years, um, you know, Israel spent 38 years in the wilderness. This guy, um, I, I can't remember who said it, but they, they pointed out that this guy is really a picture of Israel, and they're impotent. They're, 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 um, they don't have any power, and so Jesus comes, and he he heals this man. So eventually what Jesus is going to do is he's going to heal Israel. And so um, just a couple of things that you might want to think about. Yeah, the, there's a reference I have in my notes, which is kind of going off of, uh, you know, the question at hand. Uh, you can also have uh, Deuteronomy 2.14, um, the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we would come over the brook Zered was 30 and 8 years Till all the generation of men of war were wasted out among the hosts of the Lord, swear unto them, for indeed 
the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from among the hosts until they were consumed, dealing with that generation that fell in the wilderness. And so that is a, a good reference there in John chapter 5. A certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. You know, so uh, getting back to the cross-reference, it's a different cross-reference, but it's the same number, 38 years. And I say amen and amen to that uh, in regard to, there is a significance to that 38-year mark in relation to the nation of Israel and their wandering and that generation in Numbers 13 that failed. Uh, and then there's a 38-year there's a period. Getting back to the fact that they're lame, right? That's a, like a president after they lose the election, that time period, we call them a lame duck. <laughs> I mean, they don't have a lot of power. There's nothing to do. This guy's lame. So that's an awesome uh, point to bring up. Uh, again, that's not really your question, but uh, yeah, if, if you want to study the context of that, which we should be studying the context, there's a lot of layers to John chapter 5 in regard to God's relationship with Israel and that lame man being a picture of Israel. Uh, I would, and this kind of gets back to what both Ron and Jeff are saying, and I, I wasn't going to say anything, but since we're here, I might as well just get it out on the table, spill the worms on the table. So getting back to these fellows, uh, just a little bit of wisdom and insight that God gives you. One of the things that they also do, uh, they're going to come up with, um, and this isn't, is, is not, it's, well, it is somewhat based not only in the textual criticism, but just basically in theological perversion. Uh, they come up with another theory called, um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a doctrine of what's called replacement theology so most of your Anglicans and your Puritans would fall into this and then today uh, most of your Calvinists because they come from the Westminster Westminster Confession so um, replacement theology is a teaching that the church takes on the promises of the nation of Israel so the deeper insights that we're gleaning because we believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. And we, we tie, and I didn't get into that, but we do tie in, like uh, at least I do in my marginal notes. I've got a Deuteronomy 2.14 reference there uh, in my margin on verse 5, and it ties me back to what God is doing with Israel and their lameness and how that type is there that Ram was just pointing out. Um, why that's important is because we really believe a literal interpretation of Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, that God will literally restore Israel when the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, which up until 1918, 1948, you know, I do give some grace to some of these fellows going, well, that, I could see why they would think that was spiritual because, well, Israel was dispersed for almost two, you know, a thousand years. So I'm actually a little gracious with those guys back in the day. Uh, I get it how they could spiritualize some of that and think that, uh, that preterism was the way to go and that the book of Revelation was being fulfilled over you know, thousands of years, and at least they had, you know what they did have right? A lot of those guys, they had the Antichrist right, you know. They had the seat in the, in the, in the synagogue of Satan nailed down. Uh, and so that helped them, but it still wasn't altogether right. It wasn't as literal as they thought. And a lot of them took the promises of Israel and applied them. They are the Israel of God. They are uh, getting the promises of God. That's why they literally established physical kingdoms. And they tie the church to the state and the state to the church. I get into a lot of history about that, but I don't have time. The point being um, is that when you, when you get into this issue of the deity of Christ uh, and Israel, uh, Israel was lame, and they couldn't move. They were under the bondage of Rome, 
And the only person that was going to deliver them from Rome was Jesus. And you know who knew that? The disciples. But that's why Peter was so darn disgusted, because he wanted to get out of his sword and get a physical kingdom of heaven kingdom going. And Jesus is like, put that thing up. I got a fish some I got a I got some fish to fry, Peter, that you aren't aware of, called the kingdom of God. And uh I'm gonna do this different than you're ready for. But God never for, he never he never forgot Israel and he is not gonna replace Israel. He still is literally gonna fulfill his promises to Israel. Now, today in twenty twenty one, March ninth to twenty twenty one, if you can't see that, you're blind as a bat. So it's amazing how these dudes uh that are so smart as they perceive themselves to be so smart are missing the nose that's on their face. Just like the Pharisees missed it when Jesus was in their grill, uh, raising this guy up from the dead and missing the fact that he's God or not willing to submit to the fact that he is God. They were about as willing to submit to the reality that Jesus is God as they are to submit to the reality that this is God's word in English. <laughs> they ain't going to do it. They are not going to do it. So, okay, well, have it your way, man, and we'll see what happens. But uh, Jesus is God. And uh, you know what? When you hold fast to a faithful word like that, you know, you know what they did? You, are, you and I are like the lame man. Let me devote, give you a devotional context. When you walk out of this church building tonight and you say, man, Brian, I'm fully persuaded. I mean, I think I've got the word of God in English. You're going to be received about as warmly as this lame man walking with his bed on the Sabbath by the scholarship. And you're going to wonder if you joined the wrong team. And man, I tell you what, uh, I, there's a few years ago, back in the, back in the, uh, I don't know what what era in the the, the, ten, the twenty two thousand and two to twenty ten ish era, whenever when I I literally I remember sitting in my office a few times scratching my head thinking am I going to be the last dude holding this position? I mean I felt alone. I remember I flew down to I found Mark Lockwood. I mean I knew Mark Lockwood, but. I checked in with Mark, and I'm like, okay, Mark's still on board with the King James. He understand, he's still on preservation. Mike Blake was still on board with preservation. Tom Gang was still on board with preservation. But, man, I was starting to look around, and a lot of my friends, man, they were like, I'm dropping it like a hot rock. You know, too pre- man, it's too hot of a potato. So I just want you to know, we got a good circuit. We got a good, uh, good uh, rapport with a lot of churches right now that hold fast uh, to what we call a faith-based view of Scripture. And, uh, and can give a good answer, you know, a solid answer for why we hold fast to the faithful word as we've been taught. And, uh, and so, and we're not the, you know, there's a lot of people out there that hold fast. But people hold fast to the, I will tell you, they hold fast to the authorized version for different reasons, right? And, uh, uh, you know, so I'm just kind of letting you know, I believe God's preserved his word perfectly in English. This church takes that stance. That's what we, that's what we roll with. We're not mad at people that don't understand that position, that don't like this person, you know, that just, they just brought their Bible. Praise God. Read something. Read what you got. God will work with it, you know. But, uh, but if you're going to study God's Word, I'm going to tell you in English, you're going to need a King James Bible. Or you're going to find, you're going to come across verses like this and go, you won't even know, you won't even know to think about these things because it's just not there. And so uh, that's a good question. Well, any other thoughts on this? Bob, can you bring your question back next week? Can you do, can you do Q? Am I, I'm not here next, no, I'm here next week. Am I not here next week? We're here next week, right? So I'll be here next week. So QA next week. Can you do QA when, you, when I'm out? We'll see. All right, so are you guys liking the QA? We'll do this for a season. I got some other things to do, but we'll, we'll roll out with a few weeks of QA. And uh, if you're online watching us and you want to submit a question, just email us. Email me if you got my email. If you don't, you can just email contact at hbfcast.org, and we'll put it in there. 
And uh, this was a really, the practical, I, before, I mean, as I close up, the real practical issue here that I want to make sure we focus on is, you know, we can talk about Westcott and Hort, and, and we can talk about uh, replacement theology, but I really like the way, you know, ultimately you notice like Jeff and Ron keep going back to what is the text actually talking about? Well, they're talking about Jesus Christ being revealed to Israel, uh, very clear, which Nathan is the one who got us started on that. So I want to, I guess if there's anything we can learn here, uh, is is the principle of Romans? Let me just take you to a passage in Romans, um, because you don't want to. You when you wrestle with somebody, um, I don't know if you've ever wrestled, like in real life, when you wrestle with somebody, it's a, it's a battle of pushing and pulling, right? And so you got to be careful. There's times you got to push, and then there's times you can't. If you push too whole, hard, you're going to get thrown, or you're going to get shot on. Somebody's going to have access to you that you don't want. And so when you're dealing with these issues, you don't want to wrestle over Scripture. You don't want to wrestle. We're not, we don't have to wrestle anything out of, we got it in the, you just have to hold fast to the faithful word as you've been taught. And, and it says in the book of, uh, in the book of uh, Romans chapter 16, uh, this is just something that I try to, to meditate on in my own heart. Um, once I find it here. I just want to wrap up with this kind of a, it's a more of a kind of a, a principle, kind of an axiom. Um, maybe I'm in the wrong chapter. No, not that one. I was actually looking at I'm looking at the one that says, be wise into that which is good. Is that in chapter, maybe that's in chapter 14. I hate when this happens. I thought I knew right where was that on the page. Oh, there it is. It's right where I thought it was. I just didn't look. Uh, chapter 16 and verse 19, just two verses past 17. So... Let's just pick it up in 17, because I think this is, all of it together, is exactly what I was, I was thinking about that. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. There are some things you just need to avoid. Uh, For they are such that serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words, right, not nasty words, but good words, and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. And that's loaded. There's a lot of cross-references there. And then look at verse 19. It says, For your, your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And so, what, you know, what he's really saying there is that, you know, what you really want to focus on is the context, is the full mention is the issue of what is God trying to say, and what that is what you want to be wise concerning that which is good. Because if you're wise concerning that which is good, you won't have to worry about all this. God will take care of that for you. You'll clearly be able to see it, discern it, and deal with it. So be wise concerning good, simple concerning evil. 
Because there's nothing really to win here. God will take care of these guys. Just don't worry about that in his due time. That'll get, you know, the Bible tells us all about that. So make sure that, uh, make sure that you understand that. So let's wrap it up on that. Let's uh, have a word of prayer um, and uh, we'll dismiss. Next week we'll come back and hit this again. Or we'll hit Bob, hold your question, Bob. Can you do that? Will you remember that long? Okay. And uh, we'll, we'll pick it up next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you and pray.